But can I say, yeah, I'm ready to go Like weed seeds in the pot, yeah, I'm ready to grow And I don't care if the growth is fast or slow Grow my fan base, cause that's what really matters the most I see the top of y'all, swear I'm so close You ain't taking medication, let me give you a dose I am the realest in the end, that's not no quote Let's see who disagrees, raise your hand to vote Welcome to Feel the Heat, episode 11. Happy Tuesday. We hope you guys' week is starting off great. Got some good content for today. Yep. Uh, I'm your host, Day, along with my co-host, Webb. I'm so happy, y'all. Such a good day. Let's get into it. All right, here at Feel the Heat, we back up our takes with facts and numbers. Everyone has opinion, but not... Everyone backs up with the facts. But as Webb always says, the numbers don't always tell the whole story. Feel free to send us your questions or topics you would like us to cover at anchor.fm forward slash feel the heat forward slash message. Again, that's at anchor.fm forward slash feel the heat forward slash message. Or you can reach us at Twitter at feel the heat underscore KW. Jumping into NCAA week four of the college football season, did not wait to for prime time to get action going. Number two, Alabama got the day started early with a very dominant win over Southern Mississippi at home. And a Big Ten, number 11, was absolutely manhandled by number 13, Wisconsin, at, as the Badgers rolled running back Jonathan Taylor to an easy victory. Number nine, Florida also had a stressful free afternoon as the Gators topped Tennessee in the swamp. As the day went on, conference games highlighted the afternoon and evening slates. Oregon had an ugly win over Stanford, while LSU took took care of Vanderbilt. Auburn, traveling on the road, got a big win at Texas A&M. But before we get into the game recaps of the week, we're going to do something a little bit different here, and we will each give you our player of the week. Go ahead, Webb. My player of the week is Jonathan Taylor. 23 carries, 203 yards, two touchdowns. And this is what really sold it for me as him being player of the week. 8.8 yards per carry, no fumbles. Jonathan Taylor was very great against um, Michigan. I mean, he's been great all year, but yeah, had a great performance against Michigan. Our player of the week is Chris Duncan from Sanford University. They play in the Southern Conference. He had uh, 250 yards passing, 95 yards rushing, with four touchdowns on the night. He now has a total of 15 touchdowns on the season. He is a transfer quarterback from the University of South Florida. Woo! I like those numbers. I like those numbers. The recap. Number 11, Michigan versus Wisconsin. I mean, to be honest with you, Michigan, Michigan's defense is laughable to any team that that's used to more than 300 yards per 300 yards of offense per game. They couldn't stop anybody. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the QB scrambles. They couldn't stop the pass. DBs were getting beat all day. Everybody was getting beat at the line and in the secondary. I mean, Shea Patterson, 14 for 32, 219 yards, two picks, one fumble. Just to give you a perspective of how bad 
their uh, Michigan's rushing is. Dylan McCaffrey, who is the second string quarterback, led the team in rushing with 21 yards. Um, like I said, DPJ, I'm not sold on him. One reception, five yards, one touchdown, but that was at the end of the game when it really didn't matter. And I'm still going to maintain the fact that Tariq Black is Michigan's best receiver in this spread offense at three receptions and 57 yards. But just to give you just to give you an idea, if you missed the game, if you didn't watch it all, if you turned it off, whatever, you got mad. Michigan really couldn't stop the run. And this is how long Wisconsin's runs were in chronological order. They had a 72-yarder, a 42-yarder, a 23, a 25, and an 11-yarder. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Well, my key takeaway is that Wisconsin, let it be known that Michigan is not a real threat to anybody in the Big Ten, let alone Ohio State. And my another takeaway is BPJ, mark my words, will request a transfer after this season where he can show his true talent, especially if Michigan does not recruit a dual-threat quarterback or a quarterback better than Shea Patterson. He will request a transfer. Not only him, but a lot of the top players that came into that 2016 class along with him. I mean, all I'm saying is now that Chris, they don't have Chris Evans, they lost all their stars on defense. And I've been saying Michigan's had a problem since people started talking about John O'Corn when Wilton Spate was starting. You know what I mean? They've had a quarterback problem for years. And now that um, they don't have they have, they don't have a very good rushing game. Karan Higdon is gone. Their defense isn't as good. These problems are starting to show even more so than they were before. I agree with you. At number seven, I'm um, sorry, excuse me, number seven, Notre Dame was at Georgia. Go ahead and give us that recap. I mean, honestly. Notre Dame simply just got beat. Georgia isn't third in the nation for no reason. You can't go hit for hit with Georgia, especially if you're Notre Dame. You got to capitalize on Georgia's mistakes if you're Notre Dame because they're going to make less than you. At least get three. When I would have liked to see Notre Dame at least get three on more of the three and outs that they got from Georgia, and it would have looked better for Notre Dame. I mean, fourth and nine, down six, 58 seconds. And no timeouts for Notre Dame. They have the ball. Georgia rushes four people. Notre Dame has more people blocking. They force the quarterback out of the pocket. He throws a wild throw that is incomplete, and that's the game. Notre Dame simply just made too many mistakes. And I'll be the first to say that on the last episode, I said if you picked Notre Dame, he was a joke. And that was just based off how they played Clemson last year. And they played Georgia really well. Just Georgia was the better team. My key t- takeaway here is that Georgia and Notre Dame basically went back and forth all night, but it was Georgia that prevailed. They're the better team. They move forward. Notre Dame drops down in the rankings. At number eight, we have Auburn. At number 17, Texas A&M. 
Last week, I predicted A&M to win. And to say the least, I was disappointed. But I wasn't as disappointed as I thought I would be. I mean, Auburn was strong on defense. Bo Nix looked okay. 12 for 20, 100 yards with a touchdown. No picks, no fumbles. Whitlow, 18 carries, 67 yards and a touchdown. But, I mean, Kellen Mond, he looked good. 31 for 49. He threw for 335 yards and two touchdowns with no picks. I mean, yes, AM was outmatched, but they certainly weren't helpless. And the key takeaway here is, again, the Tigers' defensive front set established dominance early in the game, and that became the difference for the, the, the victory for the Auburn Tigers. So that wraps, up, wraps us up for week four for NCAA football. Friday, we will have our games of the week. If you have a game of the week that you would like us to highlight, please send that in at Feel the Heat um, at Anchor. Well, let me go back because I can't even remember, to be honest. I'm having one of those moments today. <laughs> at Anchor.fm forward slash Feel the Heat forward slash message. Okay. So if you got any games that you like us to highlight, any players, Please send those in, and um, we'll see if we can fit that into our schedule. Moving forward into the NFL, week three wrapped up with a complete dominant game by the Chicago Bears defense against the Redskins. Case Keenum, he looked lost against that defense, to say the least. But before we jump into any other NFL news that we have for you, we're going to do something else here as well and give you our player of the week. And my player of the week for... Week, uh, week three for the NFL is Daniel Jones of the New York Giants. Um, he came uh, to his first NFL start. It was yours too, huh? Yeah. I mean, he came in looking like a vet. He made the offensive flow. Um, he was 23-36 for 336 yards, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and the W against the Tampa Bay Bucks, who were the favorites to win that game. Um, I like I like what Jan- Daniel Jones brought to the Giants offense. It's something that they haven't had in a while with Eli Manning starting um, at quarterback. Yeah, mobility and accuracy. Absolutely. I mean, have you ever seen the meme when they're like, Eli Manning's behind center taking a snap and has him pointing his finger and says, you get a pick and you get a pick and you get a pick. Is basically, you know, Eli Manning hasn't been accurate. He's been throwing picks. So this is not the episode where we're going to rag on the Giants because they, they looked really good with Daniel Jones. So some people, some of our listeners have survived this week from being ragged on. And, and the only thing I can really add to that, because my player of the week was also Daniel Jones. Uh, he did have the game, the go ahead run-in touchdown with a minute and 16 left. They were down 18 at half. The score was 28 to 10. And Daniel Jones took over. But I will... Didn't... They missed the field goal. The Bucks missed the field goal at the end. Didn't they have a chance to actually win it? They had a chance to win it. Yep. Yeah, the Bucks kicker missed it. But... He he missed three field goals that game. He's definitely fired. And let me tell you what... They need to get some defensive players on the Giants' defense. I'm going to tell you that because Mike Evans 
had 190 yards receiving. Yeah, that is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. They have to get more help for Daniel Jones. If they want to win. Maybe they want to lose. Who knows? So here's a question we have. is What is wrong with Todd Gurley? And has he turned into an average running back? And here's my answer. I think he's off to his worst start since the 2016 season. Through his first three weeks of the 2019 season, he ranks 11th in the league in rushing yards with 203. He ranks outside the top 10 in yards per carry with 4.6, as well as he has only one touchdown in three weeks. And his impact on the receiving game is non-existent. Jared Goff does not even look for him in the flats or when he swings out. It's still a little premature to suggest that the former Offensive Player of the Year should be put out to the pasture to be slaughtered. But what is really wrong with him? Webb, do you have an answer? Because I really don't have an answer for that. I mean, the short answer is I don't think there's anything wrong with Todd Gurley. We're three games in, and he's coming off being hurt last season. Cooper Cup's back, so obviously he's going to draw more attention. And honestly, I haven't watched the Rams that much, but knowing that they've only played Cleveland, Carolina, New Orleans, um, when I think of those teams, I'm thinking of pass rush. They're decent up front. I mean, Carolina, they've got Gerald McCoy, Dontari Poe, Kawan Short, and Luke Keekley. New Orleans, they've got Cam Jordan. I mean, that's only one guy, but he's a force all by himself. And the Browns, they got Miles Garrett. And just for fun, I want to say Joe Schobert. I'm not saying Joe Schobert is a superstar or anything, but when you're thinking of like a Blake Martinez-esque running back, somebody that really gets their nose in the line, fills those holes, and is a reliable tackler, I'd take Joe Schobert. So I think it's too early. I think it's too early to say. I think we should just keep watching and see what happens. I think so too. That's why I said it's too early to just throw him out to be slaughtered. But it is a question for a lot of people who have become accustomed to him putting on performances um, as as Zeke has done, as uh, Christian McCaffrey's doing this year, and Alvin Kamara. So it's like, dang, Todd, where are you? Everybody's looking for the year to top. I mean, you're in the top eleven, but we're we're used to you being top five, top three. Come on, wake up, Todd, if you're listening. I mean, I just want to add one more thing. Carolina's kind of in a similar situation, if I want to try and compare this to the Rams of last year. Because if you look at the Rams last year, they really relied on Ty Gurley a lot. And this year with Cam Newton being out, they don't really have, like, a crazy superstar receiver. I mean... Christian McCaffrey is really all they got right now to lean on in terms of being a superstar. That's all I wanted to add. That's fair enough, but I do like the backup quarterback at Carolina, Kyle Allen. I believe that's his name. Yeah. I mean, I know they only played Arizona, but he looked pretty good playing against them. He looked uh, very comfortable in the pocket, so We'll see how far he can take them. Depends on how long Cam is going to be out. 
Here's the next question. Is the Baker Mayfield hype too much or does he need more time to pan out? Honestly, I'm a fan of Baker Mayfield. I've been I've been talking about Baker Mayfield behind the scenes since he was in college, but I think he just needs more time. We've seen him in at, at Oklahoma. He's a patient. He's patient in the pocket. He needs more time. He holds the ball longer than he should, and he needs to make his reads quicker. I think it's just a between-the-ears kind of thing. I think as he gets more experience, more reps, I think he'll they'll figure it out. But also, you can put it on... You can put it on Freddie Kitchens if you want to. It's it's really not all Baker Mayfield's fault. The Browns' offensive line is lacking, uh, to say the least. And Freddie Kitchens, I don't. Sometimes I really don't know what he's doing. I mean, because sometimes they're they're running the ball on third down when they should be throwing it. Like these little mistakes like that. There's there's no excuse for it. But he's a new head coach. He's calling the plays. I think I just, I want to give the Browns more time, but I believe in Baker Mayfield. I really do. I think he's overrated. I mean, this is the best team the Browns have had in a very long time. And not only is Baker blowing it for them, but Freddie Kitchens is blowing it for them. Like in the NFL, you don't have time for a quarterback to be a patient pocket passer. Not the way the pass rush comes in. There's not enough time for that. You have to be able to make quick decisions. I mean, you look at Tom Brady in his old age, and the only time he's going to get plenty of time is when his O-line has done a very proficient job at blocking. But for the most part, he gets the ball out quick. He knows where the defense is going to cover um, the heaviest at, so he knows where the receiver is going to be open, and he makes those tight pocket passes. Can more time make Baker Mayfield pan out? Yes, but they need a new quarterback like yesterday. They need somebody to come in and take this team to the promised land that they all have been saying that they're going to because at the rate they're going at, they're not going to get there this year. And I know sometimes you put a, a championship caliber team or at least a playoff caliber team together in hopes of making it far and it doesn't work out in the first year and that's fine and all but the city of Cleveland like they desperately need something to cheer for they're not going to be able to cheer for the Cavs the the Indians are in the race for the wild card so right now their hopes to have something to cheer for is with the Cleveland Browns hopefully you know Baker can get with it I believe he is a, a student of the game that he's trying to work hard at becoming a better quarterback. But like you said, and you said this before previously, he doesn't make his reads well. I mean, you've said that over and over, and he's not making the correct decisions. He's waiting too long to scramble. He's staying too long in the pocket when he doesn't have the best pass protection. I mean, honestly, name one quarterback that really has succeeded outside of Deshaun Watson with a trash O-line. I mean, we've seen what happened to Andrew Luck. We've seen it happen to Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is one of the best to ever do it. Last year, you know what I'm saying? The I mean, I, I get that. I get that. And the, it's 
I it's a play calling. I can't stand the play calling. They're running uh, they're running the ball when they should be throwing it and they're throwing it when they should be running it. Like it's just a combination of everything and I just don't think Baker can take all the blame for that. I think he's the best quarterback Cleveland has had since I could remember. I was, you know what I'm saying? I mean, how many times has Cleveland taken a, a good quarterback straight out of college and thrown him out there to slot to the slaughter with no offensive line? They did it to Deshaun Kaiser. They did it to Johnny Football. I mean, he's absolutely is like the the best quarterback that they've had in a while, but he's just not a good quarterback. I mean. They haven't had good quarterbacks, so maybe in their eyes he's good. I don't. I don't know. I'm not on a. I'm not on the Baker Mayfield train. I haven't really been. But I mean, only time will tell. Only time will tell. I don't like the way he plays. I don't like the, the game plays. The way the um, the calls are made either. And as a good quarterback, you have to recognize it's third down and five. Why are we running? Let me audible out of this because you know they're they know that you're going to run the ball and they're bringing heavy pressure. That's Why aren't you out about this? That comes with being a vet and having experience, though. That's why I said he needs more reps. He needs to work on his pre-snap reads. He needs to work on his field vision and just get the ball out. But everybody's got to help him. He needs more help. I think he needs more time. Here's another thought. Being that Saquon Barkley is out of is out for the next six to eight weeks with a high ankle sprain. Should the Giants make a trade for Melvin Gordon? And should Eli Eli Manning retire? Which one do you want me to answer first? Whichever okay. one you want. Okay. Should the Giants trade for Melvin? No. No, they shouldn't. And they shouldn't because Saquon's still on his rookie deal. Um... And when that's over, they're going to have to pay him. You know Melvin Gordon wants to get paid. So unless they're going to get Melvin Gordon to with the intention of moving him, there's no point in doing it. What are you really going to give up for him? The Giants are so in need, they don't have anything to barter with anymore. So no, I no, they shouldn't go get Melvin Gordon. I think they should just they should just uh stick with Daniel Jones. Let Eli let Eli uh coach him up and I guess that goes hand in hand with the Eli thing no I don't think he should retire I think he should mentor Daniel Jones for this season just be patient with Saquon and just look to draft better they have nothing to barter with now they might as well just be patient collect draft picks and look for look to the future I think that you're right about Eli Manning. I don't think that he should retire. I talk junk about him, but I, I think that he could be very useful and give a lot of knowledge and advice to uh, Daniel Jones because he is the only quarterback to beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl twice. So um, I agree with you there. But I do think that they should trade for Melvin Gordon if they can give him give uh, the Chargers what they want or what they need, like a backup tight end, something of that sort, just to come in and to help the Chargers. Now, listen, 
you don't have to keep Melvin Gordon on your roster longer than this season. You just need help in the backfield for the next six to eight weeks. And then if you have a two-headed monster like Saquon and Melvin, they could afford to pay for both of them to be there and somehow work it out. I know that Melvin wants to be the man. He wants to be highly paid. But if you can get him for a rental price, it wouldn't be that bad. Because at the end of the day, they have to find balance in the backfield to help Daniel Jones with his career. He already has the offensive weapons um, as far as the receivers. He already looks good as a quarterback, but he needs help in the backfield. What I want to add to that is it's too, I think it's too risky, A, because say they want to keep Melvin and keep a two-added monster, they're not going to be able to afford to keep Melvin when Saquon's rookie deal is up. They just I just don't think they will. And two, I think it's risky because Melvin Gordon's held out and it hasn't worked out for him. So the Giants picking him up would be a risk would be a risk because if he's not a thousand yard rusher that season, he's really not worth much. He would just be another Jordan Howard when he was on the Bears with Tariq Cohen. Yeah, but he's a lot more talented than Jordan Howard. And like I said, you're just getting him for a rental price for six to eight weeks. And then Saquon's back. Well, let's say Saquon is expected to be back in six to eight weeks. But if he's not back and you can get Melvin Gordon for the rest of the season to help you, I think it's a good investment. It just depends on what you're giving up. Well, my my mind is on what could we get for Melvin when it's time for him to go? Because there's no, there's no point in keeping him. I just don't see anything for him. You don't need to get anything for him. You could cut him and let him be the free agent that he wants to be. As long as he finishes out this season, he's able to become a free agent, but and, and get a new price. You don't have to keep him once you know you have Saquon back healthy. Yeah, but the Giants aren't in a position to be giving anything up right now. They're really not. If they want to win now, then they'll go look into it. They're going to need a running back. Here's another question. Is Dalvin Cook the best back in the league? No, I don't think so. Although he leads the league in rushing, I expect the Viking season to end in disappointment due to high expectations because of their defense and Adam Thielen and most of all, Dalvin Cook, who's shown up in these first three weeks as the most dominant running back in the league. My pick is still going to be Zeke, even though he's fourth right now in he's, he's fourth right now in rushing in a pass heavy offense by just ability, durability and reliability. I'm going to stay with Ezekiel Elliott. I don't think you go wrong with either Zeke or cook. Like you said, um, cook has, put the rest of the league pretty much on notice through the Vikings' first three games that, hey, I'm I'm the man here. I'm the man in the league. And, you know, on Sunday he added to that with 110 yards rushing and a touchdown. Um, but in doing so with that with the, with the Vikings, he's become the first running back in their franchise history to rush for more than 100 yards in the first three games of the season. Now, this is a very long season, and we don't know if he's going to slow down or not. But he looks great. He's elusive. He has, a, you know, he's, he's very agile. He makes the right reads when he's running the ball. And his speed is just phenomenal. It's like once he gets in open space, you're not catching him at all. 
But I mean, I don't think you could go wrong with Zeke or Dalvin. It's it's good that he's in the conversation, being that he had that ACL injury, and he's bounced back since then. Right, we've seen it from Adrian Peterson, and he's still going. Okay, that wraps us up for NFL Week Three news. Now we're gonna move to Week Four uh, games of the week on Friday. So again, if you have any players that you want us to highlight or any teams or games that you want us to highlight, please let us know. For those who have our numbers, you can text us. You can get us get at us at the Anchor app. You can also get at, get at us on Twitter. Um, so we're going to move forward and get ready to wrap this up. In the NBA, Adam, um, Adam Silver passed stricter tampering and compliance rule, rules. And I would like to hear some of your thoughts, Webb, on it. But I'll, I'll give you a quick brief on it. So the NBA's Board of Governors approved measures designed to increase the cost of tampering and enhance the league's capacity to monitor and detect both tampering and salary cap circumvention. Higher fines for tampering is one thing they put in. Higher fines for unauthorized agreements. Record retention, which includes team executives, must retain all communications with players and their representatives for one year. Random audits, which includes the NBA and any firms it hires, will be able to audit up to five randomly selected teams each year. Certification, and that means that every year, top team officials will be required to certify in writing that they did not engage in tampering. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, through all that, all all I really heard was pages and pages and pages of things that the league implemented to prevent, well, to make it harder to have a super team. I mean, after Golden State broke up, it makes it makes sense to me that Adam Silver would lay down some more rules to make it harder to get a super team and if you are doing any tampering in some type of way there's stiffer penalties for it but that's my take I think that's just in place to uh, make it harder to have a super team or at least get attain one no I think you're right and I also think that it's trying to create that fair play for the smaller markets like the Miami, um, like Milwaukee, like Detroit. All these teams are smaller markets compared to New York and Boston and L.A. Uh, and go, like you said, go to state. So they're trying to create that fair play where the other teams are able to go after these super athletes, these super players, and create their form of a really good team. And it's trying to create balance and power, I believe, as well. All right. But we'll see how it goes. We'll see if if it's something that they really follow through with. And, um, of course, teams are going to be smarter about the way they communicate with free agents. And, I mean, how can you really stop someone like, let's say, LeBron hitting up, like, Jimmy Butler and, like, hey, bro, you know what you've been thinking about free agency this summer? Um, you should come play out here with the Lakers. I mean, those are just friends talking. It's not really him necessarily recruiting for the Lakers, I mean, like, yeah, he plays for Lakers, but I think a lot of people, they lo- they want to play with their friends because you can create that bond, that chemistry. But I understand why they're doing it, just to keep the business safe, to keep people, you know, wanting to attend their games and it's, to keep that fan base, you know, high and keep the integrity in the game. I understand why they're doing it. I agree. 
In other news, the MLB is in the final week of the uh, regular season. The Dodgers, Braves, Astros, and Yankees have all clinched division titles. St. Louis has clinched a playoff berth, but there's no official seating for them yet. While the Brewers, the Nationals, the Rays, and the Athletics, as well as the Indians, are, are, are all in the wild card race. Excuse me. The wild card playoffs begin next week on October the 2nd. So we will see how this plays out um, leading up to the World Series. In the WNBA, the Sparks were eliminated in a blowout victory against the Connecticut Sun on Sunday, while the Las Vegas Aces won Game 3, forcing forcing a Game 4 at home, which they will play later on today um, on ESPN2. Their hopes are still alive. If anything else is um, doesn't need to be addressed, I'm then good. we will get ready to close this section out. You got anything you want to add? I'm good. I mean, I'm looking for uh, to get another fantasy win next week. Uh, I'm 3-0 right now, so things are looking really good for me. Just uh, keep my fantasy team in your thoughts and wish me well. Wish me luck. Yeah, I'm throwing my whole team away, actually. So we're, we're, I'm 0-3 in my money league. In my other league, it's important for me to win. I'm 2-1 in there, but 0-3 in the money league against your family and your friends is not good. Throwing the whole team away. And it's just literally coming down to playing the wrong people the wrong week. Or people playing the right people and they just doing dumb stuff. But that's a story for another day. We're going to thank you for joining Feel the Heat today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the meantime, don't forget to send in your questions or your topics that you would like us to cover. We miss hearing from you guys. You guys come up with some really good questions. Um, again, that's at anchor.fm forward slash feel the heat forward slash message or on Twitter at feel the heat or underscore KW. Once again, I'm your host, Day. Webb just briefed you, and we out of here. See you Friday. <laughs>